All right. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Good to have you with us. We're continuing our series we've started several weeks ago on others, enduring, living a faith that endures. Wouldn't it be great if on our spiritual journey we would have no setbacks, no falling off the side of the road, no, uh, no problems on our walk on that narrow road and no detours, but it doesn't always work that way. Today, our journey on the broken road introduces us to a guy by the name of Thomas, whose faith was able to endure a time of doubt in his life. This is after the resurrection. I'm going to read in John chapter 20. Of course, Jesus begins to make his post-resurrection appearances, and this is one of them in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Follow along on the Overhead, if you want, as I read or in your Bible. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and with my finger and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And after eight days the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, And stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Father, We pause in your presence today. I pray that, Father, today we would explore the Thomas incident where he doubted that Jesus was alive. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to overcome our doubts and to be firmly grounded in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Doubting Thomas. Did you have a nickname when you were a kid? Maybe you were called Skinny. Well, maybe that nickname doesn't apply anymore. uh, I remember one of the friends of mine in high school, they called him Motormouth, and I wonder why they did that. There's different kinds of nicknames. Uh, We've given Thomas this nickname. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. Boy, it sticks, doesn't it? I mean, it just was for a time, but this nickname... And, of course, he gets that from the passage we just 
read when he wasn't there at the first resurrection appearance when the disciples were all gathered. There was only 10 there and Thomas was gone. And, and then he said to them, I will not believe unless I see. Well, Thomas was a skeptical individual by nature, and there's two incidents in the scripture that show a little bit of that skepticism. And the first one is in John chapter 11, verses 14 to 16. John 11, 14 to 16. This was about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and we'll look at that probably the next time we do this a little bit more in detail. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Thomas, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, what in the world kind of statement is this? Thomas responded to Jesus' statement about going to Bethany. Now, Bethany was two miles away from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was where they were trying to kill Jesus. The, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a whole crowd of people that were looking for him, and now he is going back to Jerusalem, and Thomas is thinking, well, we're going to be in trouble here. Let's just go and die with him. It's kind of a doom and gloom uh, saying, dripping with a little skepticism. Do you, do you know anybody like that that's skeptical? Someone like, remember Winnie the Pooh, there was a character called Eeyore? <laughs> Let's just go die. You know, everything was negative. And I think of Thomas as like that a little bit in, in this incident here. Now, uh, the name Thomas means twin in the Aramaic language, and the Greek equivalent is Didymus. We don't know whose twin he was, but I think we've got some of his twins in church today, you know, that are a little skeptical. He may have been a, a doubting man, but we must confess that he was also a devoted man because he was willing to go with Jesus into danger and risk his life. The other incident is in John chapter 14, where he shows a little bit of his doubting. Now, in John 14, Jesus says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You would think that the disciples said, wow, you're going, to, you're going to go prepare a place for us. Wonderful. What did Thomas say in verse 3? Oh, Jesus said in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know, Thomas is, is trying to do some mental gymnastics and thinking this thing. He says, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? There is his skepticism appearing again, you know. So we see that he was naturally skeptical. And something else I want to point out to you, back in John chapter 20, verse 24, doubts grow when we are absent. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came a week before. He just skipped the Sunday night church service. And he missed something in that evening meeting where the ten were gathered. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say the previous week, Jesus came to them for the purpose of reassuring them. 
Thomas was not there for some reason, and Jesus appeared in the midst in his resurrection body. He didn't have to go through the door. He just entered the room without opening the doors. He had a solid body, for he asked them to touch him, and he even ate some fish. But it was a different kind of body, one that was not limited to what we call the laws of nature. Because Thomas wasn't there, he missed that, that appearance of the Lord Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body. He also mission, missed the great commission that he answered, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And you know he missed something else? It says there in that first appearance where the ten were disciples, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It was a special endowment of the Spirit before the day of Pentecost when uh, the Spirit came upon all believers. They got a special infilling endowment of the Holy Spirit so they could go out and continue their ministry. So he he missed the, he had to spend a whole week of continued fear and unbelief that he could have been experiencing joy and peace and excitement. I think Thomas is a good warning for all. When we miss services in the house of God, you're not just missing your attendance. I believe that God has something specific in every service that we attend, a message for us individually. It might be the special music. Wasn't that great? You know, what a a powerful, God doesn't throw the clay away. He's not done with you. He will just make it another vessel. And God can speak through the, the, the music of the service to, to exalt our hearts to God. And if you miss church, you're missing that opportunity to worship him. You're also miss, missing fellowship with God's people. To rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. You miss that encouragement of the Sunday school class that can help you to grow. And you miss a message from God. And I challenge you, churches, make it a priority in your life and think, I'm going to miss something if I miss service in the house of God. Thomas certainly did. Notice something else about Thomas and his uh, doubting story. He, you need to point out the difference between honest questions and un belief. Now in verse 25, the disciples said to Thomas, now the word said is in the present tense. It was like they were keep, they kept on saying, they kept on telling him, we've seen the Lord. It wasn't just one time. Thomas, I mean, uh, all the disciples, Peter says to Thomas, yeah, I've seen him. And, and the others were, were continually, excitedly telling him, we've seen him. And what does he do? He says, unless I see with my own eyes and put my finger, I will not believe. You see, there is a, it's, it's good to have uh, honest questions, but Thomas was going into unbelief. But what did Jesus do? Jesus answered Thomas' doubts with proof. He looked at his doubting disciple. He said, Thomas, where's your finger? Put your finger right there in the print of the nails. Take your hand. Put it here in the side. Don't be faithless. Believe. 
That's exactly what our Lord wants us to do. To be firm in our faith. To see with our eyes. To believe. To examine. To reach our finger. And make sure that we examine all of the evidence. In Acts chapter 1 verse 2 and 3. It gives a summary statement about Jesus' resurrection appearances. And it says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering, and notice the next word, the next phrase, by many infallible proofs being seen of them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There's so many skeptics in this world, so many people that doubt the facts of the resurrection, that doubt the facts of God's creation. And you know what God, Jesus is saying? Give me your finger. You examine the evidence for yourself and you will, if you don't have these prejudices, you will come to that believe. There's countless skeptics who have examined the truth. People like C.S. Lewis, people like Lee Strobel, who was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he examined in the, uh, his book that he wrote, The Case for Christianity, or The Case for Christ, is, is really a good journey by examining the resurrection appearances, the facts, and secular history. Uh, all of these things give evidence. And I challenge you, young people that are, maybe you're in school and the, the teachers are saying uh, about evolution is a, a fact. No, it's it's not a fact. It's only a, series, uh, a theory. Examine the true evidence. If you need help, go to Answers in Genesis. Google Reason for Hope and other biblical creation and biblical apologetic ways. But the, the Word of God says, examine. Examine the evidence. Notice also a questioning mind can lead to amazing discoveries. Now, even though Jesus rebuked Thomas for his lack of faith. You know, the two times that he was questioning the Lord, the response of Jesus gives us some of the most wonderful and uh, faith-affirming truth. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas uh, when he said, we've seen, the, the other disciple said, we've seen the Lord. And of course he said, unless I see and put my hand in the print of the nails. And then Thomas said in verse 28, My Lord and my God. What a powerful statement of Scripture. This is the, one of the most clear presentations of the deity of Jesus Christ. And it came at the skepticism, at the questions of one of the disciples. So, these, these questions lay, led to an amazing discovery. But also in John chapter 14, the passage of Scripture that we read about Thomas saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? You know what Jesus said to him? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. We have John fourteen six because of Thomas. <laughs> Thomas asking the question, we don't know where you're going. And then not only do we have the statement of the affirmed statement of the deity of Christ, the exclusivity of Jesus being the only way to heaven came 
as a result of Thomas's question. What, when Thomas questioned Jesus about the way to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way. What a, uh, his doubts led him into a deeper relationship with his Lord. And Jesus gave him exactly the truth he needed to erase any doubts he may have had. The nickname no longer applied. Doubting Thomas is no more. In the scripture, we don't hear much more about Thomas. However, the early church history tells us that Thomas traveled to India when the disciples were scattered throughout the world. David Jeremiah relates Thomas's story for us in one of his Turning Point articles. He says, Thomas' arrival in India is generally acknowledged to be about A.D. 52, no less famous a source as Eusebius of Caesarea, an authoritative early church historian, referred to Thomas traveling to India. Thomas supposedly arrived on the southwest coast of India where he established seven churches. He later traveled across the lower part of the country to what is now Chennai where he ministered until his martyrdom in A.D. 72. Several churches have existed for centuries in the area where Thomas was believed to have been martyred there in India. Millions of Christians in India are proud to be called St. Thomas Christians. Thomas overcame his initial doubts and became a powerful witness for our Lord, even in resulting in a no-doubt martyrdom. So put a period next to Thomas doubting. You know... People give lots of reasons that they believe, that they hold for doubting. And I'd like to just share those reasons. Even though the Bible is clear, there's many infallible truths. It can be defended. We can use apologetics. Yet for some, doubts still remain and settle in their life like a fog. Some people have experienced hurt or trauma or abuse at the hands of professing Christians. And when they feel that, uh, whether, whether it's um, a Christian that had some kind of sexual abuse to them, and, and that sticks in their mind, and they, and they paint the whole Christian faith with that breath. They're all like that. And, and that could lead to some people doubting them. Some people doubt because they've been listening to the hiss of the serpent. Remember what uh, the serpent said to Eve? Yea, hath God said? We see that, we hear the hiss of the serpent sometimes in, in the breath of the words of atheism and the words of evolutionism, the words of the media. All, all times we hear that hiss of the serpent. That's why we need to teach our children the truth of God because they're hearing all of the lies of the devil that are trying to question the veracity of Scripture. So some people have been listening to all of that garbage so long that they've, they don't know of any, any better way. They have been listening to that. Just like in... Uh, in Hitler's day in the 1930s, Nazism had such a propaganda machine that most of the citizens of Germany were all there. You know, they were with him because they listened to the lies of Hitler's in his propaganda machine. 
Also, some people doubt because they feel that God has disappointed them in some way. Life didn't turn out the way you thought it was. Your spouse left you. Maybe you've had a death of a young family member and you've got bitter, and you start blaming God. Is God real? Why did he allow that? And, and that's just another trick of the devil to cause doubt in the lives of people because your life did not turn out the way you thought it would. If God was good, and if he was kind and loving, then he would not let this happen to me and not let this happen to my child. Oh, I've heard that so many times. So many times. And, and the devil uses those kind of tragedies to draw people in this, shroud them in this fog of doubts and unbelief. Also, some people doubt because they could not separate the legalism that they were raised in from true Christianity. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you were raised in a legalistic environment where the rules were more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to follow all these rules. And you, and you were so busy and so careful of following all the specific do's and don'ts and this music and not that music and these kinds of clothes and not that kind of clothes and not go there and this, that you, you just missed the whole point of Christianity. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what you've done is, is you said, well, that's, that's, I'm glad I'm out of that. <laughs> but you didn't come to the one, Jesus Christ, who is, the, who is the, the hope of every life. And they weren't able to separate true biblical Christianity from the legalism that they were grown up in. And that causes doubt. And there's another one. They no longer wish to be bound to the biblical ethic. <laughs> That's very simple. They don't believe because they don't want to believe. They would then have to change. They have to give up their sexual freedom, their gay lifestyle, their addictions, their selfish existence. They'd have to give up their sin. So I just don't believe it. <laughs> that way, God doesn't have to tell me anything if I don't believe in him. And that's some of the reasons that people have doubts. How do we overcome our doubts? How did Thomas commit all of your doubts to the loving grace of Jesus? One of the greatest warriors for the faith was John the Baptist. However, there was a time when he was in prison. He wondered, even though he preached it, is, ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? <laughs> I mean, I'm here and it's, it's so difficult and they're going to cut my head off. And, and, and he was in this prison experience. So he had a, a could you send somebody to Jesus and, and ask him, are you the one or do we look for someone else? Word got to Jesus of his servant's doubt. And Jesus sent words of encouragement to John in Matthew eleven four and 5. Go. And tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Our Lord understands our weaknesses. He wants us to come to him with all of our fear, our insecurities, 
and even our doubts. There was one time some people brought a child to Jesus who was possessed by a demon that caused him to be mute and to wallow and foam at the mouth. And Jesus said to the child's father, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears in Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? (laughs) He cast the demon out. Sometimes we, in our weakness, question, bring all of your doubts, your confusion, your fear, and put them into the hands of Jesus, and he will help you. Also, another way to overcome our doubts is use the armor of God to protect you from doubts. I've been uh, teaching this on Wednesday nights, and and I've Use this when you put on the armor of God. The first piece is called the girdle of truth. This is a belt that you would wrap around you. We need to wrap our mind with the truth of God every day. The devil's always lying to us. The world is lying to us. Our own self lies to us. You're no good. You're worthless. You're a poor excuse of becoming a Christian. We need to wrap our mind with the truth. I am loved by God. I am his child. He saved me. He's he's given me a home in heaven. To every day wrap your mind with the things that are true. Also another piece of the armor is the shield of faith. The shield was a four foot by two and a half foot wide thing that a Roman soldier, when they were in battle, would hide behind, kneel behind. When a, when a volley of arrows, flaming arrows came at them, so they put up their shield and the ones behind put, it, put them up as a roof so that it was a complete barrier. And the devil is always firing his fiery darts of doubt in our mind. Put up the shield of faith. The shield is faith in the Lord. God, I'm going to hide behind you. I'm hiding behind you. Protect me from these fiery darts. And another piece is the helmet, the helmet of salvation. You put on this helmet, protecting your head and your brain. We need to put on the helmet of our assurance of salvation. Well, I tell you, the one thing that can defeat believers is not knowing for sure that they're saved. You get that thing settled. Because when you are settled in your security in the Lord, and you know him as Savior, that will help you. I'm his child. I I know I fall down, and I, I have to get back up, but I belong to the Lord. I know for sure, and the devil can't get to my mind because I'm his child. So these are just some of the, the armor of God that you can put on to protect you from doubts. And the challenge here also is to put your whole weight on the veracity of scriptures. The great evangelist, Billy Graham, at the beginning of his ministry in his early 30s, he had doubts. His grandson, Will Graham, tells a story. In the early ministry of Billy Graham, he had a few bumps in the road. A very good friend and contemporary of Billy, a man by the name of Charles Templeton, had begun challenging Billy's way of thinking. 
Mr. Templeton had preached with Youth for Christ as well, had gone on to study at Princeton where he began to believe that the Bible was flawed and that academia, not Jesus, was the answer to life's problem. So he tried to convince Billy Graham to this way of thinking and his way of thinking was outdated and the Bible couldn't be trusted and Billy began to have more questions than he did answers and evolution was was getting ground at that time. As a young man in his early 30s, all of these things were swirling in his mind and he was also made the president of Northwestern College in Minneapolis. He traveled to California in 1949 and he had so many questions. Should he fully invest in the college, which he knew meant that he had to get further education for himself. At the time, Northwestern wasn't accredited, and for it to become so, as president, he would need to get an advanced degree, which would require him taking several years off from preaching. Should he leave the school, follow the calling of an evangelist, even though his meetings previously had gone poorly? Did he even believe the Bible from which he was preaching, or should he follow Templeton and his questioning its validity? One night, Billy was at a camp in Forest Home, California. He walked out into the woods and set his Bible on a stump, more of an altar than a pulpit. And he cried out, Oh God, there are many things in this book. I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There's many seemingly contradictions. There's some areas in it that I do not seem to correlate with modern science. I, I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological reasons Chuck and others are raising. And then Billy fell to his knees and the Holy Spirit moved in him as he said this, Father, I'm going to accept it as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. He wrote in his autobiography that he stood up from, from there, his eyes stung with tears, but he felt the power and the presence of God in a way he hadn't in months. A major bridge had been crossed, he said, the resulting change didn't go unnoticed. The next day, Will says his granddaddy spoke at Forest Home and 400 people made a commitment to Christ. Henrietta Mears remarked that he preached with authority that she hadn't seen before him. And then just a few weeks later, Billy Graham would go on to hold the historic 1949 Los Angeles crusade in the tent erected on the corner of Washington and Hill Streets. That out outreach was scheduled to last three weeks and ended up going for eight weeks as people packed the Canvas Cathedral and media outlets nationwide and hundreds began getting saved. Let me ask you, do you have doubts? Have you been like Thomas, questioning the veracity, the authority of God's word? I challenge you this morning, find your stump. Settle it with God. Take the advice of the Lord Jesus who says, examine me. Examine me. I am the Savior. I'm the one that died for you. I am the one that was buried and rose again. 
I'm the one seated at the Father's right hand. And I am the one that one day will receive you to myself. Thomas, be not faithless, but believe. Jesus said, blessed are the ones, Thomas, that didn't have the privilege that you just had. But hear this word and believe. Father, I pray, Father, for that one, one of your, perhaps your children that have begun to listen to the hiss of the serpents. I pray that, God, you would help them read your word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I pray that, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know for sure that they're one of your children, I pray that you would speak to their heart today. Bring them to faith in Christ. I pray for that Christian who has had some doubts. Oh, Lord, help them not rest until they get into the book and search and talk to some other Christian strong in the Lord and have these doubts settled and clear up. Oh, God, remove the fog of doubt from your children today and help them to have a faith that endures even the doubts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing?